lecture nine on the gifts of the holy ghost the spirit helpeth our infirmity romans chapter eight verse twenty six fortitude is one of the seven gifts of the holy ghost it is the strengthening gift and patience is included in fortitude these instructions would therefore be incomplete without some exposition of the divine gift of fortitude but as the seven gifts of the holy ghost are united with each other this again requires that we should explain the whole of the divine gifts first in their union and then in their distinctions god the father was especially manifested in the work of creation god the son in the work of redemption and god the holy ghost in the work of sanctification but even in the work of creation there was a certain manifestation of the son and of the holy ghost the father spoke his creative word through his eternal word and the spirit brooded like a divine bird over the chaotic elements to fertilize the creation and bring it into order and completeness he also breathed the breath of living grace into the newly created adam in the old testament he was equally promised with the son was manifested in the benedictions of the patriarchs spoke through the prophets gave fortitude to god's heroes and sanctity to the just in the prophet ezekiel the holy spirit of god is especially promised as the sanctifier of souls cleansed in the blood of christ i will pour upon you clean water and you shall be cleansed from your filthiness and i will cleanse you from all your idols and i will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you and i will take away your stony heart and will give you a heart of flesh and i will put my spirit in the midst of you and will cause you to walk in my commandments and to keep my judgments and do them and you shall be my people and i will be your god ezekiel chapter twenty six verses twenty five through twenty eight in the creed the holy spirit is especially distinguished by what he does for us as the lord and giver of life this office of life-giver he has revealed in one of the most striking figures of holy scripture in the prophecy of ezekiel where he restores life and vigor to the vast multitude that lay slain and reduced to dry bones upon the field of battle the hand of the lord is upon me says the prophet and brought me forth in the spirit of the lord and set me down in the midst of the plain that was full of bones and he led me about through them on every side now there were very many on the face of the plain and they were exceedingly dry and he said to me son of man dost thou think these bones shall live and i answered o lord god thou knowest and he said to me prophesy concerning these bones and say to them ye dry bones hear the word of the lord thus saith the lord god to these bones behold i will send spirit into you and you shall live and i prophesied as he had commanded me and as i prophesied there was a noise and behold a commotion and the bones came together each one to its joint and i saw and behold the sinews and the flesh came up upon them 
and the skin was stretched out over them but there was no spirit in them and he said to me prophesy to the spirit prophesy o son of man and say to the spirit thus saith the lord god come spirit from the four winds and breathe upon these slain and let them live again and i prophesied as he had commanded me and the spirit came into them and they lived and they stood upon their feet an exceeding great army and the lord god said you shall know that i am the lord when i shall have opened your sepulchres and shall have brought you out of your graves o my people and shall put my spirit into you and you shall live ezekiel chapter thirty seven verses one through fourteen but although promised as the giver of life in the old testament the holy spirit was not completely manifested as the third person of the holy trinity until the accomplishment of the divine mystery of the incarnation when the father revealed him through the son as the power of the most high he was manifested to mary at the incarnation to john the baptist and his disciples he was manifested at the baptism of jesus when he appeared in the form of a dove resting upon the son of god whom a voice proclaimed to be the teacher of mankind he was manifested when the son of god proclaimed his mission in the synagogue of nazareth the spirit of the lord is upon me wherefore he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor he hath sent me st luke chapter four verse eighteen he was manifested in the preaching of christ who promised him as the enlightener and strengthener of souls he was manifested in the glorious transfiguration of christ when his interior glory streamed forth to chosen witnesses and the holy spirit was in the bright cloud above and his voice came from the cloud he was manifested after the resurrection when the son of god breathed on his apostles and said receive ye the holy ghost whose sins ye shall forgive they are forgiven them st john chapter twenty verses twenty two and twenty three he was manifested in splendor and glory on the day of pentecost when as in a mighty wind he came down from heaven and rested in tongues of fire upon the heads of the apostles and they were all filled with the holy ghost acts chapter two verse four through the apostles the holy spirit was manifested to the world in the inspiration of their preaching the fortitude of their sufferings and the wisdom and sanctity of their lives he is incessantly manifested in the church through her wonderful unity the unchangeableness of her teaching the divine gifts of her ministering and the number of her saints what a mighty creator is the holy spirit exclaimed saint gregory he has only to touch the soul and all is taught he fills the youthful david with his spirit and he becomes the psalmist he fills the rustic amos with his spirit and he becomes a prophet he fills the child daniel with his spirit and he judges the elders and proclaims the coming destruction of princes and powers he fills the fisherman with his spirit and he becomes an apostle 
he fills the persecuting pharisee with his spirit and he becomes the doctor of the gentiles quickly is it done for the grace of the holy spirit knows no tardy delays what are we to understand by the gifts of the holy ghost in what do they agree with the graces of the virtues in what do they differ from them what again are the effects which they produce in souls that are faithful to them the attribute of the holy spirit as the lord and giver of life deserves prolonged meditation and what follows will be but the exposition of that attribute spiritual life implies light love freedom power and union with god through his spirit dwelling in us the holy spirit is the principle of love and union in the holy trinity he is also the gracious principle of our union with god his sanctifying grace gives the first principle of supernatural life to our soul in baptism and in this sanctifying or justifying grace we receive the habit of the theological and moral virtues these habits are the operations of the holy spirit within our souls giving us dispositions and inclinations to believe in god to hope in him to love him and to fulfil the law of god in the exercise of the other virtues sanctifying grace comes with charity and is charity this charity gives life and by it we receive the beginning of the gifts of the holy ghost but this sanctifying or justifying grace is a supernatural and divine principle implanted by the holy spirit in the soul how it is received into the soul so as to reach all her powers st thomas will explain as the powers of the soul flow from her essence and these powers are the principles of her actions so from sanctifying grace the habits of the virtues flow through the essence of the soul into her powers and through these habits of virtue the powers are moved into action but this sanctifying grace is more than a divine principle it is an actual partaking of the holy spirit of god of which st peter says grace to you and peace be accomplished in the knowledge of god and of christ jesus our lord as all things of divine power which appertain to life and godliness are given to us through the knowledge of him who hath called us by his own proper glory and virtue by whom he hath given us most great and precious promises that by these you may be made partakers of the divine nature two peter chapter one verses two through four and st paul teaches that the charity of god is poured forth in our hearts by the holy ghost who is given to us romans chapter five verse five these words the holy ghost who is given to us and we are made partakers of the divine nature require careful explanation st thomas observes that although the light and power of grace are partakings of the divine nature and the sanctifying grace of the holy spirit establishes in us a holy union with god yet this is by a created participation and not by a partaking of the substance of god 
it comes of his divine presence in the soul and of his operation and is the result of his divine action nor is it the substance of the soul but it is given to that substance and may be taken away from the unworthy for which reason st paul says know you not that you are the temple of god and the spirit of god dwells in you but if any man violate the temple of god him will god destroy one corinthians chapter three verses sixteen and seventeen we owe it to the supreme condescension of god that his holy spirit attaches himself to his gifts of sanctifying grace and charity by so doing he dwells in us imparts life to us adopts us establishes us in dignity makes us like to god and moves us towards god but the holy ghost is never without the father and the son with whom he is to us the bond of union this truth our lord expressed to his disciples in the words if any one will love me he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and will make our abode with him st john chapter fourteen verse twenty three after which words he promises his holy spirit that we may love him the sanctifying grace of the holy spirit establishes us therefore in a supernatural state of life raises the image of god within us to his likeness makes us god's children inheritors of his kingdom and temples in which he deigns to dwell so great noble and precious is this grace exalting the soul above the order of nature and bringing her into such union with god that the good of this grace in one single soul is greater than all the natural good of the whole universe what an inexhaustible subject of meditation and gratitude the presence of god in the soul gifted with charity is a divine fact to be realized by the mind to the utmost it places the possessor of grace in a divine order of things that leads up to god and points to his glory take the whole circle of created nature where grace is not that nature is powerless to ascend to god it follows of necessity that there can be no proportion of value between grace and nature but the gifts of the holy ghost have a higher excellence a superior force and more powerful efficacy than the habits of the virtues they have immediate reference to the holy ghost as dwelling within us from whom they proceed as from their direct cause and their most bountiful giver for it is one thing to have divine movements in the soul and another to have the divine mover present and acting immediately within the powers and perfecting their action st thomas defines the gifts of the holy ghost to be certain habits that perfect the soul to obey the holy spirit with promptitude these habits attract the soul to follow the divine inspiration or inbreathings with ease and freedom the holy spirit himself is called altissimi donum dei the gift by excellence of the most high god the seven gifts are called the seven spirits as well that is to say the seven radiations of divine light 
flowings of spiritual unction breathings of power that attract and draw the will to comply with the inspirations of the holy spirit saint paul says there are diversities of graces but one spirit and saint thomas justly remarks that we ought to follow the language of holy scripture which calls these gifts spirits the spirit of wisdom the spirit of knowledge and the rest the seven gifts are seven divine qualities inbreathed it may be a question whether the seven spirits before the throne of god may not each represent one of the seven gifts of the holy spirit in an eminent degree the breathing of the spirit into adam gave him the breath of spiritual life upon his creation the breathing of christ upon the apostles conveyed to them the power of the holy spirit to heal the fallen adam and his descendants receive ye the holy ghost whose sins ye shall forgive they are forgiven them but the holy spirit dwelling within the soul is the fountain of the seven gifts which truth we express in the hymn of the church in which we invite him to come and fill our souls in which also we call upon him as the living spring the living fire sweet unction and true love and we ask him to confirm and strengthen us with constant power there are two principles of movement then in the christian soul one is the movement of the man the other is the movement of god the mere human virtues move from natural reason the christian virtues move from grace the free will works with them and they perfect the man towards his salvation but the gifts of the holy ghost give a higher perfection to the faculties than the grace of the virtues raising our spirit to higher things and rendering it prompt vigorous and readily responsive to the divine influences four of these gifts knowledge understanding counsel and wisdom refer to the illuminating and elevating of the mind the other three fortitude piety and fear of the lord refer directly to the strengthening sweetening and exalting of the will because they affect the heart or will with the sense of divine things but the four gifts to the mind are also gifts to the will because they are not only the greatest illuminators and guides of the will but give freedom and strength of action to the will whether in contemplation or in the conduct of life for the gift of wisdom which includes the other three is of the heart as well as of the mind giving a sensible relish of those heavenly things which the truth presents to the mind and which we feel through the unction of the holy spirit of this divine illumination of the holy spirit our lord says he will teach you all truth and again he will bring to your mind whatsoever i shall have said to you st john chapter fourteen verse twenty six and st paul tells us we have received the spirit that is of god that we may know the things that are given us from god one corinthians chapter two verse twelve and commending the colossians for their love in the spirit the apostle asks for them the whole perfecting operation of the holy spirit 
that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of god in all things pleasing being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of god strengthened with all might according to the power of his glory in all patience and long-suffering with joy giving thanks to god the father who hath made us partakers of the lot of the saints in light colossians chapter one verses nine through twelve in this inspired passage we have presented to us the whole illuminating and strengthening power of the holy spirit perfecting the virtues with his gifts with respect again to the gifts of fortitude and piety the apostle says if we hope for that which we see not we wait for it in patience likewise the spirit also helpeth our infirmity for we know not what we should pray for as we ought but the spirit himself asketh for us with unspeakable groanings and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what the spirit desireth because he asketh for the saints according to god romans chapter eight verses twenty five through twenty seven when the divine gifts coincide with the virtues they are only distinguished by their greater splendor and fruitfulness the virtues are given in the grace of baptism the gifts are given in greater strength and abundance in confirmation and are afterwards augmented in proportion to the humility and charity of the receiver of this we have divine assurance if you love me keep my commandments and i will ask the father and he will give you another paraclete that he may abide with you for ever the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not nor knoweth him but you shall know him because he shall abide with you and remain with you st john chapter fourteen verses fifteen through seventeen we must therefore understand that the spiritual movements of the soul are imperfect and inadequate to reach their end in a perfect way without the immediate presence inspiration and operation of the holy spirit moving us according to the light and sense of his eternal wisdom yet he only moves us so far as we are disposed to be moved and when we do not oppose him with the dull resistance and unbending tenacity of our self-will clinging to unworthy or defiling things but when the will is open pure and free we may confidently say with the psalmist thy good spirit shall lead me into the right land psalm 142 verse 10 and we may feel the assurance given us by saint paul that whosoever are led by the spirit of god they are the sons of god romans chapter 8 verse 14 let then the soul understand this thoroughly and reflect upon it earnestly that it is the presence charity and action of the holy ghost within us that makes us acceptable to god when we are faithfully obedient to his light and inspirations for what pleases our heavenly father in us is his own divine spirit given to us through the merits of his son 
working in our nature and drawing our will and mind to work with him when our heavenly father beholds the blood of his son upon our soul his gospel in our heart and his spirit within our spirit moving us towards him when he sees his own spirit spreading out his gifts in our powers and hears that spirit pleading for us through the prayer that he inspires with his own unspeakable utterances our heavenly father is propitiated by the great presence within us and is pleased to accept us for the sake of the divine good that has come into us and which is the bond of union between the feeble creature and her omnipotent and all-pure creator the holy ghost is also our protector from our enemies for quoting st thomas once more when the gifts of the holy ghost are combined with the virtues they are sufficient to exclude the sins and vices and to protect us both in the present and in the future from sin but with respect to past sins whose guilt is not yet removed we have a special remedy in the sacraments yet the movements of the holy ghost are so far from impeding the freedom of the will that they promote that freedom as nothing else can for they raise the will out of its material fetters repel the obstacles to that freedom interposed by self-love and by the other clogging vices and give greater freedom by giving greater power to the will hence st paul says where is the spirit of the lord there is liberty two corinthians chapter three verse seventeen st basil compares man to a ship under sail the ship may be well constructed and provided but without the impulse of the wind it cannot move towards its destination so man may have sanctifying grace and the habits of the virtues but without the moving power of the holy spirit he cannot advance towards god without the wind the ship is not at liberty without the breathing of the holy spirit the soul has not her spiritual freedom the prophet isaiah gives the seven gifts in the order of their dignity and excellence placing wisdom first and the fear of god last this is a usual method in the scriptures and we have it in the ten commandments it is the precedence due to what is nearest to god and to what brings us nearest to god but when we consider the gifts as they come to us we must reverse the order and place the fear of god first and wisdom last this has been pointed out by st augustine and explained by st gregory in his allegorical style the great doctor of morals attaches his instruction to the vision of the new temple as seen by the prophet ezekiel describing the gate of the court that looked to the north the prophet says and they went up to it by seven steps and the porch was before it ezekiel chapter forty verse twenty two by seven steps says st gregory we ascend to the door as by the seven gifts of the holy ghost we come to the kingdom of heaven these gifts as enumerated by isaiah rested on the head of christ and they rest on his body which we are 
the prophet speaks of these degrees in their descending rather than in their ascending order for undoubtedly we ascend from fear to wisdom in our mind the first step of ascent is by fear the second by piety the third by knowledge the fourth by fortitude the fifth by counsel the sixth by understanding and the seventh by wisdom but what is fear without piety what is piety unguided by knowledge what again is knowledge without the power to will our knowledge therefore must pass into fortitude that what we know that we may do without fear or alarm and may defend the good that we have but fortitude is unsafe without foresight and circumspection which saves us from rushing into presumption and coming to a fall fortitude must therefore ascend to counsel that we may see what is best to be done and may do it with magnanimity but there can be no counsel without understanding teaching us the evil to be avoided as well as the good to be sought and consolidated for counsel therefore we must descend to understanding yet even though understanding be watchful and well informed it will still need to be matured and applied by wisdom we must therefore ascend to wisdom that what understanding discovers wisdom may ripen and bring to its proper ends as then we rise from fear to piety and are led through piety to knowledge and go from knowledge to fortitude and tend from fortitude to counsel and through counsel advance to understanding and through understanding ascend to the maturity of wisdom we go up by these seven steps to the door that opens into eternal life but it is written that there is a porch before the ascent for unless a man have humility before he ascend he cannot go up those spiritual steps nor reach those spiritual gifts as it is written to whom shall i have respect but to him that is poor and little of a contrite spirit and that trembleth at my words isaiah chapter sixty six verse two and it is said in the psalm in his heart he hath disposed to ascend by steps in the vale of tears in the place which he hath set psalm eighty three verses six and seven this vale is a lowly place where the sinner afflicts his heart with tears whilst advancing towards the virtues again it is written thou sendest forth springs in the valleys the waters shall pass between the midst of the hills psalm one hundred three verse ten these are the streams of living water of which our lord speaks that spring from the holy spirit unto eternal life they spring in the valleys and they flow through the valleys because the gifts of the holy spirit are given to the humble through this diversity of gifts from one spirit we dispose ascensions in our heart from the lowest to the highest yet whoever has received the perfection of wisdom has received all these gifts in that one because the holy spirit is the eternal wisdom and he imparts the gifts that belong to wisdom in proportion to the dispositions of the receiver 
hence it is said in the proverbs wisdom hath built herself a house she hath hewn out seven pillars proverbs chapter nine verse one this house is the sanctified soul in which the holy spirit dwells and the seven pillars are the seven luminous and strengthening gifts that in the living house aspire to god but wisdom is the chief giving us both the knowledge and the sense of divine things and from it there come the purest piety and the firmest fortitude whereby we both adhere to god and reject what is opposed to god and the fear of god that belongs to wisdom is not a predominant dread of punishment but such a vivid sense of god instilled into the heart as to fill us with the sense of our own unworthiness the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom because as st bernard observes the soul obtains her first sense of god through fear and not through knowledge when you fear the justice and power of god it is because he gives you a vivid sense of himself as he is just and powerful but fear affects our inward sense and just as knowledge gives us understanding fear gives us sensibility when therefore we begin to feel god we begin to enter into his wisdom because wisdom comes of the sense of god but the fear of god which is perfect wisdom is the fear of love and reverence and it arises from an all-pervading feeling of the infinite goodness the sublime majesty and the eternal glory of god in contrast with our nothingness before him wisdom therefore as the scripture teaches is an infinite treasure to men which they that use become the friends of god being commended for the gifts of discipline wisdom chapter eight verse fourteen the seven gifts are opposed to the seven deadly sins and they are the life of the eight beatitudes as the heart sends the life's blood through all the veins and limbs of the body the holy spirit sends his living fire and unction through all the powers of the soul the master of love and sanctity he descends into creatures unworthy of his presence through the condescension of charity and fills the mind with his light the heart with his sense and the will with his strength removing evil bringing good to sanctify is to purify and to unite with god as he purifies with fire and unites with unction the soul that he embraces with charity in various forms were the seven gifts prefigured in the prophetic ages but in none more completely than in the seven-branched candlestick that stood burning day and night in the holy sanctuary of god's temple the stem of pure gold was a figure of christ's humanity which hypostatically united with his divinity ascended erect towards heaven the seven branches proceeding from the stem were lilies of pure gold united with the stem as the spirit of god is united with christ whose seven gifts embrace his pure humanity the seven golden lamps ever burning with pure oil symbol the seven gifts of the holy ghost burning in souls to the honour and glory of god in the flames of charity 
according to the mind and sense of christ as the apostle says let this mind be in you which was also in christ jesus philippians chapter two verse five the three lamps on the right hand are the lamps of illumination they are knowledge understanding and counsel the three lamps on the left hand the side of the heart are the lamps of spiritual sense and power they are fear piety and fortitude the lamp in the middle crowns the whole it rests on the stem which is christ and this is the lamp of wisdom the first lamp lighted in the soul is the lamp of fear not of servile fear for that precedes the divine gifts but of childlike fear and reverence this fear moves from charity it is the chaste and venerating reverence that flows from the touch of the holy spirit on the will moving the soul to revere our heavenly father with ease and promptitude and to dread offending him this fear despoils us of our own will and makes us conscious that we belong to god and not to ourselves the beginning of this fear casts a certain holy horror over the soul from the sense of the awful majesty of god and makes us feel how little we are in his sight how feeble before his infinite power before whom the angels tremble and whom nothing can resist this fear strikes down the folly of conceit and humbles us into our nothingness it shows that we have no foundation in ourselves and moves us with humble and awestruck reverence to seek our foundation in god it strikes a new sense into us and gives birth to new resolution that makes us obedient and patient caring for little beyond the will of god and prompt to confess our failings and unworthiness this childlike fear is the true beginning of hope as well as of wisdom for in detaching us from trust in ourselves it sets us free to trust in god it is neither servile worldly nor carnal fear but the reverence of god in the fear of ourselves servile fear is the dread of the slave under the lash of his master although the master's goodness may change that fear into loving reverence but so long as fear is servile it places the love of self before the love of god and dreads his punishments more than it fears to lose him worldly fear is the dread of losing temporal advantages or social reputation carnal fear is the dread of corporal privations sufferings or death the power of the gift of the fear of god is to conquer these fears of the creature to absorb them and so banish them from the soul and to restore us to our freedom and dignity because the gift of the fear of god delivers us from every other fear the fear of the lord expels pride which is the radical deformity of man as st bonaventure observes it introduces god through the humility which it brings because the man is brought under the mighty hand of god wherefore as saint anselm justly concludes the fear of the lord is the beginning of the divine gifts 
and the holy spirit gives this fear for a foundation on which to build the other gifts the second lamp with its golden vessel oil and flame is the gift of piety piety is that gift of the holy ghost which fills us with childlike affection for our heavenly father and inclines us to love honour and worship him it is far more excellent to honour god with a child's affection as our father than only to honour him with fear as our creator lord and judge and therefore the gift of piety rises much higher than the virtue of religion by natural piety children love their parents by that piety which is the fruit of grace the christian tends to the love honour and worship of god but the gift of piety is infused from that same eternal fountain of piety in which the holy spirit loves the father and the son and is loved by them and this divine infusion of piety softens the hardness of our nature enlarges the soul by the ardour which it enkindles sweetens her with unction and draws her with tenderness towards god to serve him with joy and to worship him with all her powers hugo of st victor has beautifully described this gift as an affection and a devotion poured from the sweetness of the divine benignity that is both grateful in itself and helpful to mankind for these rays from the sun of divine piety attract the soul into which they enter to the fountain of all beauty and sweetness whilst they devoutly incline us to the help of our brethren writing to st timothy st paul takes this large view of the gift exercise thyself unto piety for bodily exercise is profitable to little but piety is profitable to all things having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come one timothy chapter four verse eight piety is also called godliness as bringing all our affections unto god for when endowed with this gift we cannot be contained within ourselves but must go forth carried by the flame of piety towards the divine unity and moved by love of the divine unity to works of mercy and compassion wherefore our blessed lord in his piety was wholly given up in his interior to the divine unity and wholly given up in his exterior to us in word in life in death and in the holy eucharist piety is the sweet refreshment of a soul filled with the sense of god and with the consciousness of his friendship it inspires a disposition to expend the mercy received in works of mercy both corporal and spiritual this piety to quote hugo of st victor again invites us to leave off despondency the love in it draws us from our own will the mercy in it pacifies our irritability the cheerfulness in it makes us feel secure the affability in it leads to familiarity and familiarity reveals the divine secrets when those divine secrets are opened they produce friendship friendship is preserved by having one spirit 
and humility brings us near to god for according to saint paul he who is joined to the lord is one spirit one corinthians chapter six verse seventeen the third lamp on the left of the golden candlestick is the gift of fortitude fortitude is that gift of the holy ghost which infuses strength into the will that it may control the irascible appetite and give force and courage both to do and to endure great things with the confidence of succeeding in the face of difficulties according to the will of god it is also the work of fortitude to repress the solicitations of concupiscence and to repel the false allurements of self-love so as to remove the fears arising from adversities and calamities between the virtue and the gift of fortitude st antoninus has drawn these four distinctions first the virtue of fortitude acts within the limits of human nature but the gift has its measure from divine power the psalmist says by thee i shall be delivered from temptation and through my god i shall go over the wall psalm seventeen verse thirty that is i shall overcome obstacles that my natural strength could never master secondly although the virtue of fortitude gives courage to brave dangers it has neither the force nor the confidence to overcome them all but the gift of fortitude enables us to brave all perils that come in the way of duty and to surmount them every one thirdly the virtue of fortitude does not extend to all difficulties because it rests too much on human strength which is greater in one faculty in one person and less in another faculty in another person thus one person will have strength to conquer concupiscence and another to die for god's sake but the gift of fortitude rests not in our own power but on the power of god and consequently it extends to all difficulties and suffices for all this was magnanimously declared by holy job deliver me o lord and set me beside thee and let any man's hand fight against me job chapter seventeen verse three fourthly the virtue of fortitude will not bring every undertaking to a happy conclusion for it belongs not to man to carry all his works safely through the evils and dangers that oppose their completion death may interrupt them though nothing else should interfere but the gift of fortitude accomplishes all that god directs us to do and then brings us to eternal life the happy ending of our undertakings as well as of our dangers st paul therefore says of this gift i can do all things in him that strengtheneth me philippians chapter four verse thirteen we must add another important distinction which the devout gerson has drawn from st thomas when we are so placed that we must either encounter great dangers or sufferings or else abandon the good of virtue the declaring of our faith for example or our adhesion to the cause of justice the virtue of fortitude will enable us to suffer or to endure 
but the gift of fortitude will go much farther and will enable us to perfect our actions as they embrace the divine counsels or the state of perfection it may be objected that this would limit the gift in its abundance to those who are perfect this however by no means follows because it is one thing to have the gift as it exists in habit and another to have it in action through faithful cooperation as a habit the gift is given with charity so that even the imperfect who are in charity have the habit of fortitude but through neglecting to exercise the gift they have it not in action but the perfect have brought the habit of the gift into action and have greatly increased it in reward for their fidelity the spirit of fortitude includes patience as a component part of the gift and it is this gift of patience that hath a perfect work whereby we possess our souls in god much therefore that has been said in these lectures of patience belongs more to the gift than to the simple virtue the gift demands that we rise in spirit above all that is unlike to god that we account our native powers but of little worth in comparison with the gift and that we freely give up our will to the divine power and virtue to make us secure in every combat if we generously give up our will to the influence of the holy spirit it will take away all doubting diffidence fear shrinking inconstancy and changeableness wherever the will of god shall manifestly appear hope will spring up that the gift will preserve us from mortal sin and that noble part of the virtue called magnanimity will arise in a straightforward spirit will allow of no compromise will despise whatever is vicious and will make but little account of what is earthly and therefore fluctuating taking small care for these things the magnanimous soul fears no one but god looks to no one as great or mighty except god and puts no great trust in any one but god the honest soul and as no soul is honest without humility the humble soul then will ascend in union with the holy spirit above all creatures to worship god with gratitude and praise praising him in her life more than her words she will become magnanimous robust and unconquerable the more sharply provocation or temptation assails her the more vigorous she will grow combating with the conscious and invincible power of god in contemplating the greatness and majesty of god the mind will become simple free from all narrow views and feelings and in her growing insight of his goodness she will not know how to praise him enough through this praise of god the soul will feel her own insufficiency and the very consciousness of what she herself is in the presence of his unspeakable excellency will fill her spirit with joy salvation and the beginning of beatitude she may therefore say with the blessed virgin my soul doth magnify the lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in god my saviour the gift of fortitude inspires courage to undertake great things 
what are those great things if we limit them to what rises above the ordinary events of life the gift would be rarely needed what are the great things for which it is habitually given to understand this it will suffice to consider that man is a fallen king who has lost his royal state deny this who may it is revealed to every man in every hour of his life he finds it within him in the strife between good and evil he finds it in those sublime instincts of his heart that perpetually rebuke his degrading propensities we are called upon to reconquer the kingdom from which we have fallen this truth is the foundation of all religion and of all wise legislation it rests on the distinction between good and evil what brings us to god is good what takes us from god is evil our great work is to recover the lost kingdom of heaven the means of recovering this kingdom are of the same supernatural character with our final end god is the supreme object of the soul and those great means must come from god to employ them with courage and perseverance is therefore the great thing to be accomplished and for this the gift of fortitude is essential the great means to be used are the theological and moral virtues summed up in the creed and the commandments endowed with these virtues and living in them the man is restored to god becomes a king possesses and rules himself and inherits the kingdom of heaven this is the greatest and most difficult of all enterprises three frightful powers are leagued against its success and strive to cause its failure these are the world the flesh and the devil we need not speak here of the craft cruelty and hatred of the devil and his legions the flesh is the body that belongs to us a heated furnace that burns day and night with the fuel of unlawful affections with covetousness with disorderly appetites with insubordination and vanity with aversion anger hatred audacity and sadness with the love of lawless delights with fear with despondency like another eve the flesh offers us the forbidden fruit and invites the soul to take delight in evil like the wife of Potiphar, it solicits joseph to dishonor like delilah it shears away the strength of samson with his locks and delivers the man up to the devil as she gave up samson to the philistines not only does the body ensnare the soul to evil but turns her away from good there is no kind of war which the body will not wage against the soul and no kind of sacrifice that the soul may not be called upon to make to ensure her safety from the attacks of the body and that not merely in the interest of one virtue but of all the virtues what is the world but a motley and immense crowd of renegades from god or from the virtues yet this same world is not always seen even by its own members for what it is notwithstanding its foul errors false prophecies loose maxims pretentious manners covert vices and seductive charms 
and yet like the three children in the babylonian furnace we must live in the midst of this unruly conflagration without being scorched by its flames to conquer the world the flesh and the devil is the most arduous of all undertakings and far exceeds our strength without the presence light and power of the holy ghost this is the first part of our task the second is to suffer to suffer well requires much greater fortitude than to act well to act against evil and to face the danger of evil comes first in point of time but to suffer and endure is more essential for accumulating internal strength this last is also more difficult more noble and more perfect st antoninus following st thomas puts the argument in this shape it is more difficult to combat with the strong than with the weak but the attack takes the position of the strong and the defence the position of the weak he who attacks another sees nothing but a mere possible and distant danger to himself but he who receives the attack must endure an evil that is actually present and which must be endured at the present time an attack is made in an instant but those who have to bear the attack must suffer for an indefinite and uncertain length of time it therefore requires much greater fortitude and constancy of will to be firm and patient under the danger the attack the pain and suffering of present evil than to enter actively upon a difficult work hence it is well known that the most valiant soldiers are not those who are alert in attack but those who are patient and strong to endure assaults what has man to suffer it should rather be asked what things has he not to suffer pains and distress of body pains and griefs of soul pains and sorrows of conscience and the dread which they inspire conflicts without fears within maladies to which every part of his mortal frame is exposed poverty contradiction injury injustice the attacks of the world the flesh and the devil these are our attendants from the cradle to the grave often is the devout christian predestined to exceptional sufferings especially of the interior kind that the spirit may be made strong for eternity then again his virtues irritate the devil and the world and at their hands he receives providential sufferings for his purification and perfection in virtue but what is man who is he that he should undertake to scale heaven and to do this mighty feat in the face of all these enemies his nature his very name is weakness measure the grandeur of his undertaking by the weakness of his nature and the difference between them represents the divine force of which he stands in constant need this feeble man this feebler woman must become a strong living force through the holy spirit dwelling within them thanks to the divine gift of fortitude the world for nearly nineteen hundred years has witnessed wonders almost incredible 
it has seen millions of souls poor and rich ignorant and learned young and aged men women and even children in all climes of all races courageous and constant to one grand and holy purpose strong and vigorous in conquering temptations brave and magnanimous in enduring pain adversity and sorrow for the sake of the kingdom of heaven the world has seen the peaceful patience and heroic constancy of the christian martyrs the world has seen the gentle fortitude so gentle in its strength of the confessors of christ and their joy amidst countless sufferings the world has witnessed the patient toils and privations of the missionaries of truth and of the daughters of charity but quickly does the world forget what its children should most take to heart yet all this the world has seen and what has it heard it heard st paul throwing defiance to the enemies of the soul in the name of all the children of the cross i fear not i can do all things in him that strengtheneth me who shall separate us from the love of christ the world has heard st francis taking poverty for his spouse and greeting patience as her sister it has heard st teresa taking for the heroic maxim of her life to suffer or to die it has heard the yet more heroic maxim of st mary magdalene de Pazzi, to suffer not to die it has heard st john of the cross uniting these two maxims into one to suffer and be despised for god's sake how many like notes breathed from the gift of fortitude and praising the blessed good of sufferings have resounded from the hearts and lives of the saints since the day when the holy ghost came in fire upon the heads of the apostles the first branch on the right hand of the golden candlestick is the gift of knowledge in this gift the holy spirit moves the mind and the will to form just and sure judgments in what belongs to faith and to distinguish what is from what is not of faith independently of all reasoning from secondary or created causes by this gift we also know what to do and what to leave undone according to the law of justice this is the science of the saints of which the book of wisdom says the lord hath led the just man through right ways and showed him the kingdom of god and hath given him the knowledge of holy things wisdom chapter ten verse ten st thomas thus explains the gift the divine knowledge is not from reasoning it is absolute and simple and the gift of knowledge from the holy ghost is like to this it is a certain partaken resemblance of the divine knowledge distinct from the virtue of faith it perfects that virtue with greater light and knowledge in the first place the gift of knowledge gives us light to distinguish what is true from what is false what is of god from what is of the creature what is solid from what is vain and imaginary and what is truly great from what only appears to be great although not so in reality for example 
it enables us to see the perfect harmony that exists between humiliation poverty and suffering and the real wants of the fallen man and thus we learn to accept them as the sick man takes his medicines to save him from death and restore him to health it is a holy commerce in which we exchange what is temporary and trivial for a wealth that is imperishable st paul understood this commerce well the things he says that were gained to me i have accounted loss for christ furthermore i count all things to be loss for the excellent knowledge of jesus christ my lord for whom i have suffered the loss of all things and count them all but filth that i may gain jesus christ philippians chapter three verses seven and eight secondly the divine gift of knowledge acts upon the will and brings judgment and action into harmony with the truth in the mind thirdly this knowledge radiates the light of truth upon the sciences shows their true place and gives them their due order whilst it confirms ennobles and fertilizes them the gift of counsel is the second luminous lamp on the right of the golden candlestick we can never run well or wisely unless we know at what object and end we are aiming and by what course the prize may best be obtained st antoninus defines the gift of counsel to be that gift of the holy ghost which directs us in all things that are ordained to bring us to our final end in god whether needful to our salvation or not but in the searchings of counsel man needs to be directed by god to whom all things are known this is the gift of counsel and st thomas observes that the gift of counsel responds to the virtue of prudence which it keeps and perfects prudence results from the good use of counsel in what regards the conduct of life and the management of affairs but human prudence often fails whilst divine prudence never fails those souls who act by its inspiration at first there may be doubts and hesitations but this is only the sifting and clearing off of what is human fanciful or erroneous in our deliberations of which the light of counsel makes us conscious whilst with the help of patience and humility the counsel of the holy spirit will shine out clear in the end and that in a way that cannot be mistaken because it puts the mind at peace there is also given a grace to the will to carry out in action what has been resolved upon by counsel but we should much mistake the gift of counsel in supposing that its light is always given to the individual whom it concerns directly the holy spirit provides for the fundamental and essential virtue of humility without which the plenitude of the gift cannot be received he therefore often conceals from one what he makes known to another and guides the one to seek light from the other that the humility of the act may open the mind to receive the light of counsel again it is written that where there is much counsel there is safety proverbs chapter eleven verse fourteen 
council collects into one what the divine wisdom distributes to several giving light to one and the desire of light to another who obtains it by consultation hence holy tobias admonishes his son seek counsel always of a wise man tobias chapter four verse nineteen and we are taught by the holy spirit be at peace with all men but let one in a thousand be thy counsellor ecclesiasticus chapter six verse six st bernard points to a double leprosy that eats into the soundness of counsel self-will and self-interest both of which listen more to the perversity of nature and to the guidance of god the third lamp on the right is the gift of understanding this gift is a supernatural light that descends through the mind into our spiritual nature and lifts up our spiritual sense to penetrate that truth which is given to the receptive mind or memory enabling us to comprehend it and make it our own and so to bring it into use and application in the practical intelligence it is of little avail to have truth in the mind unless it be received into the understanding but by bringing the understanding through the act of the will into commerce with the light of truth in the mind that is by attention by consideration by reflection and by meditation we bring the truth presented to the mind into our spiritual nature and thus make it our own but the knowledge that god offers to us can never really become our own until by the searching which the holy spirit moves us to make that truth descends into our spiritual sense and takes possession of the powers of the will that what we see with our understanding we may feel in our inmost life giving our active consent to the light in us that accords with the light in god then as st augustine observes understanding of truth cleans the heart of carnal affection that pure intention may direct us towards our final end by the gift of understanding the holy spirit purifies the eye of the soul and leads us into ourselves where we begin to understand what we are and what god is and whilst we subject our understanding to god his truth makes us children of the light moving upwards through that light we rise above our senses above our imagination above the instincts of our nature and enter with intelligence into the presence of god there we receive the gift more abundantly in proportion as we die to ourselves and from the gift there grows a singular virtue having its origin in god and its life in the will a virtue that makes us watchful of good and conservative of the light of life this vivid and luminous appetite for good looks to god with great contentment thanks him and feels after him through his manifold gifts in this sense of god the mortification of nature is constantly renewed the spirit grows in the grace of the holy ghost and the divine light is preserved in the soul the soul delights in god and the interior man is renewed day by day 
the seventh lamp upon the golden stem crowns the other six with the sovereign gift of wisdom who can declare the splendour of this gift implanted in the human heart it illuminates divine and eternal things and gives us the sense of eternal good human wisdom consists in the knowledge of things in their causes and especially in their supreme cause but the gift of divine wisdom is a certain created participation of the holy spirit as he is the eternal wisdom that eternal wisdom is the infinite light of the infinite love of the father and the son in the person of the holy ghost in the words of st bonaventure the wisdom that descends to us from above is the splendour of truth in the delightful sense of good having god for its chief object as he is the true good that attracts our will to him it draws us to love god and to delight in him wherefore concludes the great doctor and saint the gift of wisdom is a supernatural habit infused into the soul by the holy spirit enabling us to know to love and to delight in god this gift is given in its abundance to the pure of heart and is chiefly cultivated in contemplation for contemplation brings the soul nigh to god where she receives the impress of his likeness in much simplicity and where ascending above the creature the soul absorbs the sense of god but the sense of god is wisdom we begin with the gift of fear says st augustine and passing step by step through the intermediate gifts we reach their consummation at last in the gift of wisdom this is the final gift because it tranquillizes the soul and makes her peaceful fruitful and joyful the holy spirit observes st anselm accumulates this gift upon his other gifts when he breathes wisdom into the soul enabling what is correctly known by the gift of understanding to be sweetly relished in the gift of wisdom in virtue of which we pursue what is excellent from pure love dwelling in this house of the soul with his gifts the holy spirit rules the whole family of the soul's interior senses and so disposes them in his service that they ascend to god and without departing from god they descend to the service of our neighbour that soul is therefore able to say with the psalmist the lord ruleth me and i shall want for nothing he hath set me in a place of pasture psalm twenty two verses one and two this wisdom is the unction from the holy one that teacheth all things the light that illuminates all darkness the lambent fire that played on the heads of the apostles the wise man had experience of this light this unction this ardent fire when he wrote this praise of wisdom i wished and understanding was given to me and i called upon god and the spirit of wisdom came to me and i preferred her to kingdoms and thrones and esteemed riches as nothing in comparison of her i loved her above health and beauty and chose to have her instead of light for her light cannot be put out she is an infinite treasure to men 
which they that use become the friends of god being commended for the gift of discipline for in her is the spirit of understanding holy one manifold subtle eloquent active undefiled sure sweet loving that which is good quick which nothing hindereth beneficent gentle kind steadfast assured secure having all power overseeing all things and reacheth everywhere by reason of her purity her have i loved and have sought her from my youth and have desired to take her for my spouse and i became a lover of her beauty give me wisdom that sitteth by thy throne and cast me not off from among thy children send her out of thy holy heaven and from the throne of thy majesty that she may be with me and may labour with me that i may know what is acceptable to thee wisdom chapter seven through nine